Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the 1% Better Podcast, and I think this is the number six episode of the live version, and hopefully each time it's getting 1% better. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to introducing my guest for, for this evening. I'll actually do it straight away. I'm looking at him over the magic of Skype. Um, we're not obviously doing a, a full-blown Skype video this time around. We're just doing audio. But this week's live guest is Toph Evans. Toph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, brother. Thank you. Great to have you along on this uh, Wednesday evening to have a have a chat. And as I was saying to you just a little bit off uh, off air or off line, that uh, I didn't do deep dive into you. I know I know a good bit about you, but somewhat more exciting sometimes doing these kind of off the cuff where I'm kind of learning a little bit about the person as we go but I know you're a very resilient character you're big into adventure adventures um definitely have lots of parallels with you there but I, I don't think I've done anything to the uh to the distance that you've done um yet anyway and you've probably a bit of age on your side w- compared to me as well so I don't know if I'll ever get there but Really looking forward to chatting to you and uh, hopefully the folks that do tune in either live right now, um, they'll get something out of it. And then when I put it up on demand afterwards, it's there for forever. So hopefully people will get stuff out of that. And there's a cool feature on the Spreaker setup that I was mentioning to you where people can chat. If there is anyone listening, they can post a question. So I'll bring that up to you if uh, if they do. And maybe I'll just pretend that there's people listening and make up a question as well. That'll make it sound even more fun. So sounds good <laughs> so we'll see how that goes so welcome to the show Tov. um maybe give yourself a, a more detailed introduction than i than i have yeah sure i i guess i'm australian if anyone can pick up on that um i'm a bit of an adventurer author speaker and i guess a mental health advocate as well so there to help people show what they're really what they're worth um in a good way and also to help fast track people's resilience that's what i'm there for essentially if you were to say what is TOEF, i'm here to fast track people's resilience nice and i mean the TOEF thing i did do a bit of research on that uh because i wanted to make sure i was pronouncing your name correctly um but it's a a derivative of christopher right so that's where it comes from that's it man because uh, this is stuck for like the last 11 years and i remember at school where a friend just said dude there's too many chris's can we just call you Tofa? Yeah, sure. And I'm like, well, let's spell it T-O-F-A just to be a little bit more different. And then in Australia, um, everyone's very lazy with syllables. And so Tof just came from Tofa. Dude, I'm the only Tof Evans in the world. There is like a million Christopher Evanses. I might as well just be called Muhammad if I just go off that. So it it makes it easier for personal branding reasons because yeah. I'm the only Tof. You're unique from that perspective, and it's good to get a lot of people I've interviewed over the last 18 months or so, when they're trying to line up their social media n- names, it's uh, it's challenging to get your first name, last name, without putting 784 after <laughs> or something like that, you know, so, yeah, yeah. 
you've nailed that one i've, I've similar rob of the green is is unique from that perspective as well so it's um it's good so tough talk to me about one of the first questions I, I typically ask on this show is um catches people off a little bit so if you haven't listened to it you're probably not prepared for this one but what's your earliest memory what comes up when i ask that um balloons so it's funny you ask that because there's a book i just read called the mind's eye by ian robertson and he asked that exact question stop what you're doing think of your earliest memory because um our, hippoc- our hippocampus which is the memory center in our brain located in the limbic region it it starts developing at the age around two right and it's and for me memories from like a maybe it was my birthday or a friend's birthday or a sibling uh, like another birthday i was at not balloons to celebrate but just balloons i just remember them being there so that's the first thing that comes to mind hmm. very I, I definitely i'm not stealing that question from that book but um it's probably a, a common enough question but i i'm fascinated by that and what comes up for some people some people i've actually interviewed <clears throat> excuse me you know sport running things like that comes up for them and later in life they can kind of maybe link it back um but but that's interesting has balloons been a significant part of your life ever since is there any kind of <laughs> common no trait? absolutely not there's yeah. it's actually probably been a bit of a dichotomy the other side of the extreme um no no it's, it's just something i when I think of it, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Balloons popping and balloons just bouncing around. Cool. We'll, we'll do some psychology during the show and see if there's any other stuff we can get under the hood on there. So talk yeah, to man. me. Talk to me about growing up. Then, young guy, what was what was life like? Had you aspirations to be something other than you became? I'd love to know a little bit about your uh, early years. Funnily enough, when you get, what do you want to be when you're older? I said architect, just mm. because I have this. Uh, I really love how buildings are built. Um, it turns out like I didn't grow up to be an architect. I never actually got the architect thing, but I, I became a designer for a while. So it wasn't really what buildings look like. It was how things were designed. And as I get older, what I learned from my engineering career still applies to today because I learned how to reverse engineer mm-hmm. like quite well. And I learned how to conceptual design. And I'm still conceptual design today where I've got the vision and you build things in your own image. And so maybe that part of the architecture has really just stuck with me when I grew up. So funnily enough, I didn't really do, I did a little bit of sport growing up, but I was always the kid that got picked last because anything that requires a ball or of some sort, I sucked at. But being in a team, I'm I'm great at, but just anything, a lot of the sports I did that required a ball and it didn't really do well. When I did swimming, I did quite well because you just need your body. Um, As I got older into high school, I did less sport because I probably focused on more academic subjects and I probably didn't do too much sport, but I loved watching sport. I was always a kid that just resonated because like the Olympics was, was my baby. When that was on, it was like, yeah, I was always just glued to the screen, not because like I was addicted to TV because I was just addicted to athletes. Hmm. Um, but even at school, like it was weird, man. I, like the first couple of years of high school, I was actually bullied quite a bit and it sucked. Hmm. But the last three years of high school, it's like I understood the psychology of humans and I could be a bit of a chameleon, not like to people please, but I just figured out that everyone's different and they all think differently. And I could be, I was the nerd that was friends with the jocks, I guess you call it, or that was friends with everyone else. So that was a very, when you could be on both sides of that dichotomy, of that spectrum where it's like, it's just, oh my God, what happened there? But 
it was it was weird, but it was it was cool to experience that at the same time. Mm. Straight away, it's striking me, you have and always had a lot of self awareness. So to be to be that age and aware enough to say maybe you know interested in these sort of areas and that will help me be a chameleon as you said not in a kind of typical way of of, of avoiding everything but knowing how to play people so that's emotional intelligence as you probably know it's a key part of it is that something you you sensed you knew you had from an early age or was it just natural do you think it was natural because a strength of mine was like to be intuitive Mm -hmm. i'm always going off gut kind of the most of the time Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying like I don't use any logic. There's obviously, there is definitely logic there, but I'm definitely right brain dominant. And intu- like intuitiveness is just something that comes natural for me. Mm. So I will, if if I want something bad enough, I'll make it happen. No matter if you're like in a financial rut or physically or whatever. It's just like, because like regret is something I figured out. Um, I think Stephen Hawking did this one for me, where he proved that you can't go backwards in time. So today's the youngest day you'll ever be. And we're only getting closer to whenever we pass away. So it gets your ass in a gear when you can do that. So for me, it's like intuitively this feels right. Maybe I should go down this path. Mm. And yeah. Interesting. And intuition, again, is something I ask an awful lot of people on, on this about and I have my own big passion around that. I remember last year I kind of do a monthly challenge and I did one last year where I was trying to follow my gut for that whole month as much as possible, like make decisions based on what was coming up didn't always work but uh but they say you know a lot of studies is like intuition even though it is your gut there's part of something going on inside there that uh is bringing together life experiences to give you that indication to go which way or another but but from a very young age if you were following your gut you know you might not have had too many life experiences so it's um it's just interesting to see how how that could, could potentially play out so it's something you were aware of though from a young age you were going with your gut 100% and the thing is um, from a psychology point of view the teenagers are more um, what was the word they're not as risk averse because our consequential thinking hasn't really grown because their brains haven't developed yet and so that's why like when you're younger you're more likely to get in trouble or whatever I did get in a little bit of trouble at one point but as we get older we are I wouldn't say actually I would say cynical because we know the repercussions of things because our brains have developed and we, we know what happens when you don't do the right thing or whatever. But I think it's, it's always good to embrace your inner child. Now I'm not saying immaturity, but for risk and for creativity and whatever that it was just at a point where it's like, what's the worst that can happen? And I, I, I've never been one to really confine to status quo. So to do that, it was like, I want to do this in my own path just so I can be me. Hmm. But it may, I may have not known that clear path, but it was just something that I think I'm onto something here. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Did you ever hear of the Iowa experiment? The, the what experiment? The Iowa experiment. You know Iowa, the state in, in the US? In America? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I have not. Tell me. There's something you can take away afterwards, but there's a. it's an experiment that was done. Maybe it was done in Iowa, but uh, it, it it's around intuition where they were showing um, students in a in an experiment set up cards um and there was there was a pattern in the cards but it it was very difficult for them to to distinguish to define or understand that pattern till maybe 40 cards in and then then started to know what card was coming next but they were all hooked up to sensors that um 
that were triggering off after maybe 10 12 cards that that was basically identifying the uh the intuitive part of them was saying this is the the next card or whatever so it was kind of just connecting in even though they weren't aware consciously their internal workings were sending off signals so so look it up the iowa experiment's very interesting and it's all around iowa yeah love that sorry I'm, I'm going off on tangents here no uh, no no it's all contextual it's yeah all contextual. exactly um so talk to me about resilience is a word you use a lot and obviously you have a lot of it for me that's a, a core value would you say that's one of your core values yeah and was it one that you were aware of from a very young age as well no can you talk um, to me about even the process of you know core values or when did they start becoming apparent to you um, until I really went through rock bottom, mm-hmm. until I went through rock bottom. So for those who don't actually know what resilience is, it's just the ability to bounce back. Mm-hmm. That's in the most simplest form we can put it as. Um, it wasn't until I kind of, like you understand the value of something when it's taken away from you. And when you lose all, all your mental health state, when you get to a point where you're, you're the lowest of lows that you just want to end your own life, whatever. Um, when you're in that the deepest part of the, it's like the Marianas Trench, really, um, of the mind. You get to that point and you go, I need to do something because there would have been one or two things if if I continued the way I was, I would have possibly gone through with the suicide or I would have turned into a megalomaniac, mm-hmm. one of the two. So I'm glad I've really focused on self development and the self, like self love and a lot of self appreciation and you know self gratitude and self belief and all the selves really mm. so I could be the person I am today and talk about it today with with humility um, it wasn't until I go okay when, when you're rebuilding back up so if we look at the word rebuild and if you look at someone like a house to build something from scratch you need a foundation in place and to have foundation is the first thing is values if you don't have the values in place you're not going to find like a good partnership whether it's a business partnership a marriage collaboration needs to have the right value, needs to have aligning values. And that's how you know if you're going to work with that person. That's how you have a good indication, no matter like of age or gender or, or sex or whatever. Um, it's understanding those values. And I didn't know that for a very long time. And my values were way off skewed to what they are now mm. because I was, got, I was driven by ego mm. and the wrong things. Definitely driven through ego and definitely driven off the wrong. Um, and hanging around the wrong people as well. And and when, when you're masking as a person because you're not happy with the person you are because of the way life is coming at you and you are using, you know what, hard drugs and alcohol to deal with it mm. at a rapid rate and a very brutal rate, um, your values change sporadically into the even more in the opposite direction. So. It's about making that shift internally and actually accepting, acknowledging it first, then accepting it, then doing something about it. So yeah, th- that's why I said I didn't know what values were because it wasn't until they t- they were taken away from me that I was like, oh my god, I've got to do everything I can to get them back, and then s- and do everything I can to s- keep them uh, maintained. Hmm. So when you before maybe we'll take a little bit further back as well, you, you hit rock bottom. What? Who were you, or who was that person before rock bottom? What type of lifestyle were you leading? What? What? What were you chasing? Was there 
a purpose or was it you know what 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 was it all about really before that uh if there was a purpose it was you know how you know i, I was ch- i was doing so many things at once and it was probably a good thing that I learned not to do that anymore because the man who chases two rabbits catches none or the person who chases two rabbits catches none, Confucius says. I tried starting like a little side business at one point. I wanted to travel the world and I was all these relationships I was getting into weren't going well. Um, certain friendships weren't going well um, and just a bunch of other things as well mm. that all just seemed to hit at once. And they're like just everyday issues. But the way I was dealing with it, all right, for example, five years ago I was in Dublin for the first time and now I'm in here for the second time I'm here for a purpose and everything's so much more better mm-hmm. but I was here for St. Paddy's and I was like you know what? I'm going to not just do St. Patrick's I'm going to do a day I'm going to do St. Patrick's week I did the and I it was it you was weren't wild. the only one I would imagine though to be fair <laughs> yeah absolutely and for me it was like how wasted can I get while I'm over here mm-hmm. and that that was fun I guess at the time and for me like you know what? I'm a te- like I'm in my early twenties when this all happened. So it's, it's okay to go through that because I'm actually grateful to go through that. Cause even if it wasn't for that, I would not be here having this conversation with you right now. I would not even be in Dublin right now if it wasn't for my demons. You kind of love them at the end. Yeah. You're kind of grateful for your demons. But at the point I actually, I didn't do things unintentionally. I, I just didn't know where I was going. And I think a lot of people can relate to that statement. I think a it could be, I, I don't know the exact number, but it could, I think it's in the high 90s of people are just, if you look at them as cars, they're driving for the sake of it. They don't know where they're going. And once you do know, even if you have a little bit of clarity of where you want to go, at least you can put that in the GPS. And you know what? Even if your car breaks down and there's a tow truck coming because you've got a flat tire or the engine's broken and whatever it is, you still know where you're going. It's just going to be a little bit longer because you've come across a speed bump ahead, like setback, whatever you want to call it. Hmm. But I didn't have... I didn't have that GPS location. Hmm. Hmm. Did um, I'm I'm trying to relate right. Like I I'm I'm forty, so I'm a bit older than you. But I think it, it took me probably thirty five years or so to figure out where my kind of core values were, and things have been pretty good ever ever since. Um, <clears throat> I would would have had goals in life and would have been pushing towards what I thought success was or happiness was or, or you know, but but I. Uh, looking back now i always knew or always had a sense that it wasn't right either did you have goals and did you always have a nagging to say there this is not right or, or was there something the back of your mind kind of saying you know just something not 100 percent here look i think i've always had a chip on my shoulder and intuitively like sometimes intuition hasn't got me the best results Mm. But I'm grateful for them because you, you, I think if you have a win or a learn mentality as a win to a lose mentality, um, actually it's more win-win or learn because you want to do things where other people win as well. It, Yeah, like it, it never feels like it's going right. But if you look at to, even to where we are now, like it's everything's happened because of a sequence and it's almost serendipity of things that happen. It just – not everything goes to plan. And um, I think you just learn to understand that failure is really just an experiment that doesn't go to plan. And you think about it in school or even like, actually if we look at any Nobel Peace Prize winning um, scientist of some sort, let's just say Einstein, when he discovered E equals MC squared or energy mass equivalents, he 
he conducted the experiment many, many times. He hypothesized it. And then he tested it so many times that it, it was just okay. Like, it's okay to fail quick. If anything, you want to fail quick. And then before you know it, so even all those things that happened back then, it just gets me to the point where I'm, it was meant to be. Yeah, no, I, 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 it makes sense. It definitely makes sense to me as well. So, so it was about three or five years ago was your turning point. Mm-hmm. You, you hit a, a rock bottom. <clears throat> How did you start to rebuild then afterwards? So maybe talk me through some of the, the things you started to do that made that improvement that I guess, you know, to tie it into the show, 1% better. Was it, was it marginal incremental improvements? and Definitely incremental. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... I was holding on to so much dead weight by this point that I need to let go. And for me to let go, I need to let it out. And I'm not taking it. I'm not saying let it out on the, on the punching bag. At first I was letting it out on other people. Like I was being a total jerk because I wasn't happy with myself. So how I was treating other people was a mirror projection. Um, I started writing at first. I started journaling and then I felt, okay, I have the, I kind of want to talk to some people. So like my best friend and you know what? The the older women, even any older women listening, shout out to you guys because I was able to talk to you because I didn't feel judged. It's a bit hard at first to talk to men. I can talk to men now. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get grown ass men, double my double my age, twice my height, open up to me. It's, it's a beautiful feeling to be around because they feel like they're in a safe space. But I didn't feel like I was in a safe space when I was around other men because there was a it, it wasn't common for men to open up. And but women, you put a bunch of women together, and they're gonna vent. <laughs> it's crazy because it's innate; it's in their DNA. Mm-hmm. But you put a bunch of guys together. That's why, like, there's a reason why women live longer than men because we have too much testosterone. Um, there's a reason why more men commit suicide because they don't want to open up because they would rather, if you, the moment they get judged or whatever, their self-esteem is destroyed. Like, if you want to, the quickest way to break a man is talk about his masculinity. Honestly. Mm. So, um, for me, I was able to talk to women, but then I got to a point where I, I flipped the switch by going, instead of thinking, what are people going to think of me? I wonder if this, if anyone's going through something similar that this could help. And it, it's helped immensely. Like you can't even, you can't even quantify the number of how immense it's changed by having that mindset because the like it's helped me write a book to help people. It's allowed me to be on stage to help people. And I'm not to boast or anything and talk about the mediums that I do it as, but just the responses I get, whether it's, whether it's male or female, I'm someone going, Oh my God, I don't feel alone. And now you're bridging the gap because the moment you feel alone, there's a disconnect between humanity because humans are neurobiologically wired for connection. So I'm piecing everything together right now. Mm-hmm. So when you can bridge the gap where people feel safe, mentally and emotionally mainly emotionally just there um it, it's a pretty cool feeling when it's a, it's actually a cool thing to go through rock bottom because you resonate with other people that have or are going through a rock bottom of this some sort and you literally feel their pain so from a very compact you, you don't empathize now you you're just on a compassion level mm-hmm. because that is the opposite of grief compassion I'm I'm on board with everything you're saying. I think sometimes the one the angle I take is um sometimes if you've gone through something um and <clears throat> it's almost 
be, so for your example you, you've gone through it you've found the rock bottom you're working your way back up and you've you're starting to figure things out there's sometimes a the, the potential where you could actually get complacent and, and think oh i've actually come back here everybody else probably knows how to do this anyway so you know maybe everybody's in the same boat so it's it's kind of keeping that awareness to know not everybody is as strong as you or as as resilient as you um and it's it's important to continue that conversation and, and, and share what you've learned. Has there been any point during that where you've been afraid to to express or to share or to, to tell your story or to help others? Was there any kind of fair thinking people might be judging me or, you know, wondering why am I going on about this sort of thing, you know? At, at first, yeah, absolutely. Because it's, it's completely new and novelty at first. Absolutely not now. Like, I mm. think... Um, just because having that mindset of I wonder if this, as long as I impact just one person, like when when you're up on, if anyone's listening and they're like, I want to take a thing about taking a public speaking, don't go for everyone in the crowd. As in, don't you're not gonna get everyone. It's like being in business. If you go for everyone, you're gonna miss everyone. Just focus on the people that are super willing, and they're gonna help spread the word for you. That that's what that mindset of having just go for one person. Um, you asked something else in that question because I was gonna, was gonna elaborate on that. Um, four different questions built into that question. <laughs> Sorry, um, where was I going with it? I think it was yeah, rock bottom, building yourself back up. Is there? You said there was a fear. Um, it's it's that I suppose that you're assuming that other people know what it's like. Maybe maybe that was the angle. Mm. You know what? I think. Oh, you mentioned it before. At the end of the day, you you can't compare as well. Mm. You can't be like oh how come he's at or she's at i'm not at their level you can't do that because the circumstances were completely different from birth um like some people say that to me i was like you know what man you have different parents to me that changes everything you're born in a different era you have a you're born in a different country you i'm not talking about you i'm talking about like specific people that come up to me and say that therefore the trajectories are automatically going to be different just understand that and Focus on doing things in your own flair. Like embrace the weirdness in you. Embrace all those, the nuances that you have because that's what's going to make you you. Don't focus on being anyone else. Look, someone might be on a different journey, but if the moment you can remove that comparison, it's like you're removing a cancer as well because comparison, now there's perspective. Perspective is much is is not the same, but it's going looking at things from a human level, I think it's like, you know what, like the race I did, it's like, right, if this guy can do whatever, if a human can do this, maybe I can do the thing that I've always wanted to do and break my own limits. That's why I did that mm -hmm. to empower people to break their own limits. So in, instead of going like, there's a lot of people I really look up to and I don't look at them by going like, so Michael Phelps, for example, I, I absolutely adore Michael Phelps and what he's done. And how I would treat him is how I'd treat you. I wouldn't fanboy him or anything like that. Sure. But something I really appreciate what he does is his his ability to be composed under stress. And that's something I've always wanted, but I don't want to be Michael Phelps, but I want to take his work ethic in regards to that. And it's okay to emulate people, but you can't compare yourself and you can't compete with people like that. But yeah. Mm. No, good, good, uh, a good explanation, I suppose, and good, good perspective on it. One of the blogs I think you wrote and something I talk about a lot is is practice. So so what you're talking about there is is amazing, right? 
inspirational stuff to somebody to say yeah just do one thing move forward but what i find when i coach people or when i'm trying to move them along is that great at the start but when they start having to put the hard work in the uh it can slow so it's it's that deliberate practice how i guess how have you applied practice and discipline and what are the tools i suppose that are potentially transferable to others that they can start using yeah for sure so the, the key to this is to build an evolutionary stable strategy it's, it's it may seem like a big play on of words ess that's when you negotiate with the mind and the body and what you do to that is you start really small so fear is bearable because fear is a bitch we all know this fear is what overrides a lot of our decisions is it's like they're like fear is best friends with overthinking <laughs> they're homies they're mm-hmm. cool homies but so the key is to start super small to the point where it's the daily habit doesn't feel like work as much now you can get insatiably curious so for example when i took up running i um i took oh this is going back to the rebuilding stage actually so it's this is going to come interconnected now once i was able to talk to people i had a little bit more clarity because i'm letting go of that weight even though it can be a teary process, that's all part of the process, it was a matter of figuring out why I wasn't happy. And long story short, my health was very degraded at this point too. So I focused on making health a very high priority. And health equals sport, in my opinion, and I always love sport and because I put the correlation of, you know what, the fittest people in sport seem to be the healthiest people. Why don't I just take up a sport? And when I was playing at school, I really sucked at sport. So I just needed something that didn't require a ball, so I took up running. But it actually was like, I'll go for a jog while I think about it. And then I was, oh, the penny drop. Why don't I just take a, go for a run? And then I signed up for a marathon and worked backwards from there. Mm-hmm. And signing up for that marathon was probably the best decision I've ever made because it takes 66 days to rewire a neural pathway, to make a new habit. Mm-hmm. I, I gave myself 16 weeks. So that's like 120 days. In that process, I learned to be consistent with training. I learned to eat properly. I I learned to get up when I didn't want to to train. So there was a discipline in that because I tied it with a goal that meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. And there was an in, there was more there was an intrinsic motivator actually that I'm talking like if someone were to cut me open, they can't take it away because it's intangible. But in there, I started really small, man. Like I started with, you know, I had a lot of social anxiety at one point, so I just got to leave the house. Just just get out of the door. That was the biggest thing I could do that day. And I can get back in. And then it was a matter of walking a block and then doing a kilometer, then doing a mile and then doing five kilometers. And then before we know it, I'm running like 25-kilometer training runs. I'm like, oh, my God, I couldn't even run. I couldn't even get out of the house like a few months ago. Mm. And then I do the marathon and then it's like, what's next? Mm. Then you go, well, during the marathon, you go, why the hell did I sign up for this thing? And then when you finish, you go, oh, where's the next one? I've got to sign up for another one. Yeah. So I'm always doing that. And it, it, it's probably a good thing because and what actually solidified it was the community. You meet other people in the community, not matter, no matter what community. And I'm talking like fitness community, whether it's stand-up paddleboard, um, kite surfing even, running, endurance of some sort, where you meet people that also are going through something similar, where you go, what made you start running? And this is what happened to me. What started, one of my dear friends, what got you into running? Oh, I was kind of running from my demons, ironically, running mm-hmm. from mental health. Yeah. Me too. And we just bond over that. And it's because we, you can resonate on a really, really deep level, on a very even spiritual level, because 
of the emotional turmoil you put yourself through. And actually running the marathon is one of the easiest things you can do from there because physical pain is so much more, it's less painful than emotional pain. Let me tell you that. Because I remember I did, I did a keynote recently and I said, can I get a show of hands? Who would rather physical pain over emotional pain? Everyone's hands went up, even the event organizer. And um, that's why people, and I, I sort of come to this, that's why people cut themselves. That's why people like really hurt themselves because that physical pain is less painful. Like if you break your leg, you'll be fine in a few weeks, in a, in a couple of months. But your heart gets broken or like if you really lose the, I don't know, you might um, lost a family member, whatever it is. It could be anything that requires a lot of emotional turmoil. That is less, that is more painful than physical pain. So in regards, sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there. Um, with the, with discipline, it was really starting small. And getting to a point where, all right, it's the daily habit. It doesn't feel like work as much now. It's time to get insatiably curious. Mm-hmm. So, if, something really practical. If anyone is thinking about joining the gym um, for the first time in ever, or for the first time, just in for the first time, don't be that person that does six days the first week and tries to do two-hour sessions because you want to get the abs straight away. Mm-hmm. Because some of the majority of the time when people do that, they they're looking at someone else and going, "I want that body." They don't realize it took them maybe five years to get that body, because now they're comparing. You know what? Just focus on doing maybe even fifteen minutes, and just do two days this week or something like that, mm. or even just do one day. Then the next week we're going to gradually get more. Maybe we're going to do sixteen minutes, or we're going to add an extra push up, whatever it is, and just so you don't traumatize yourself. And then before you know it, you slowly build. You're building a crescendo. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. They look at it. Think of it as like a staircase. You can't you can't jump to the end of the staircase. So you've got to slowly work your way. Yeah, and uh, I think from a physical point of view, it's it's very important as well to to do that because I know a lot of people that have decided they're going to run a marathon and run ten miles, you know, five nights a week for the first month and then just physically destroy themselves and can never run again they get bulging discs and are, are out so not only mentally kind of breaking it down but physically i think is is uh, is very important um I, I would definitely agree there from from experience i think as well um so as you've continued to do a lot of these adventures over the last few years doing a lot of them for for charity as well they've seemed to get bigger and bigger and and how, how i suppose how did you how do you maintain that level as well how do you actually look after yourself so that you don't get injured or, or even, or do you ever even get to a point mentally where you're at a breaking point and that you've had setbacks and, and how do you deal with that? Yes. In regards to that, the latter question, absolutely. So as the years have gotten on, I've been doing less events, but more intensity. So like 2016, 40 events last year would have been 18 events this year, probably five max, mm. but there've been more intensity um, just so I have more time for myself to focus on other things. But I've always got something in the works to prevent me from complacency. Um, in regards to the question about how do I prevent injury, strength training has been a great one. Um, putting the right foods in me. And I'm not, I, don't, I don't have like a really strict diet or anything, like I have this many calories or anything. No, just usually everything's home cooked. Um, and I just don't eat any processed foods or refined sugars. I try and, you know, now and then I will because – it's okay to reward yourself, but uh, it's it's not. I don't want anything too stringent because I have discipline, but I want to be flexible with non-negotiables. And if that makes sense, mm. just 
I, or else it's going to feel like a chore at the end of the day. So it's like for me for running, I might want to run 40K tomorrow for all I know. But if I had a training plan that says you can't, it's like, well, I, I, then you're not the right coach for me because mm. this is just not the way I think because I don't want it to feel like a job in that sense. Um, yeah, so as, as, the, as the years have gotten on, more intensity because my crescendo is constantly growing. I'm at a point where it's like, okay, I want a new challenge and what can I do to push myself mentally? Like the race I did last week, I broke down. I broke down several times, but every runner did too, actually, because that terrain was insane. And um, but you are grateful to go through that because you know what? It's like nothing can really get to me now because I went through hell. So you figure out what are actually problems anymore, and you're able to use that perspective and go in that moment. Yes, this is tough, but there's always someone that has it worse. Mm. There's always someone that has it worse off. Mm. To be able to to think like that in those tough moments, um, the person who connected us was was uh, John Mur Murray, and we talk about on on the podcast uh, uh, mindfulness a lot as well. And when you're running in that duration, or, or you're in the moment for so much of it, especially if you're doing trail running and whatnot, I know you're putting one foot in front of the other because you might fall over. So it's br I much prefer that compared to just a long marathon run because you're you can kind of wander totally have you this was true that developed that sense of being in the now have, have had you that um skill i guess beforehand or, or has it just gradually become more and more and is that's where you're you're in your happy place or your happiest place um first of all shout out to john um second he's listening, thing he's listening <laughs> yeah yeah um there's one of the guys i really look up to he said something um he said you know what, we have a monkey mind. I just run to the monkey's dive and now I'm able to think. I thought that was hilarious. Mm -hmm. And I, I can deeply resonate with that. When, when you're road running, it's a good way to zone out and it's a good way to get speed. Um, but, and like I can go, I can just keep going if I really want to. But when it comes to trail running, it puts me in a state of like utmost focus because I'm not caring about anything else, especially if you're flying downhill. Because you can't be thinking about anything else because you might roll your ankle. You mm. could um, – the terrain is constantly shifting. Mm. So you you might need a sidestep. It's actually really good for the muscles because you're activating more. Mm -hmm. But it puts me in that flow state, I guess you call it, mm -hmm. because time's gone by and three hours may have also gone by. Mm -hmm. But you, it's, you are so in present focus living. You're immersed in present focus living because you're not caring about what happened in the past or in the future. There's no fear or regret. It's actually going right now. And you're, you're tuned with your mind and body. Like you're, you're grounded and your mind isn't wandering off in space. So you're like, you're, it's just you. And it's a beautiful feeling when you can finally, you know, some people get it through knitting. Some people get it through gardening. Some yeah. people get it through spreadsheets, believe it or not. Yeah, but yeah. for me, trial, trial running is actually incredible for that. Incredible. I guess the key point is to to try different things to find what your your own flow state is, or be a mad scientist. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Experiment. Um, a question I've been meaning to ask as we've gone through this, and another one that I'm, uh, you know, you're probably getting the the trend here as I'm kind of picking at you because there's stuff that that, that kind of parallels Intro introvert versus extrovert. What type do you fall on there? Which side are you typically or or naturally? Um, definitely extroverted. 
Mm. I used to be really, I used to be ambiverted for a while. Mm. Um, and you know what? We all have tendencies yes. in both. So, mm. for example, even as an extrovert, sometimes when I've gone out too hard or whatever for all, like for months at a time, I just want time by myself. That's fine. And then some people, as introverts, they they thrive the best. Here's what I found about introverts. The reason why they they say they hate people, they don't. They love people. They just have that fear of lost connection. That's the reason why. And it's a bit harder for them in social settings. Mm-hmm. But when they are in that social setting, they're the loudest person in the room. It's it's hilarious. Um, but as I've gotten more spreading my message, I'd probably say I'm more extroverted because more people have approached me and whatever, and it's been easier to be introduced, whatever. Mm. Um, but there was a long, there was for a while I was probably inverted. I was like on the cusp and it was a bit tough, but at the end of the day, like whatever you are, there's no right or wrong. You just got to embrace who you are. Um, and, and introverts are better listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're better observers. Extroverts are, be, are, are better at connecting. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. It's one I, I like to ask as well. And it's one that I typically talk about. There was a book that I, I read. Uh, Susan Cain's Quiet. You might have read it. Um, it's no, I haven't. Again, absolutely. It's it's a game changer. I would be. You in, have to send that to me. Actually, you have to send me the name. And I'll I read. I actually have. Um, I think I have a spare copy here, but uh, <laughs> I. Uh, it, it for me it's a game changer because I'm I've been an introvert for for many years for all my life I guess but haven't haven't really been fully understanding as to some of the tendencies of it until I read that book and some of the research behind it uh, it it's just uh, really good and it's good for extroverts to read it as well to know why your introverted partner doesn't want to go to a social gathering and you know talk to 55 people on the night there's nothing wrong with them it's just that they're they're not net, not naturally that way inclined they'd rather talk to two or three people in one corner about deep stuff and then say they've had a good night but uh yeah there there you go um introverts extroverts fascinating stuff um, well, continuing off that real quickly yeah even as an extrovert that likes to be around social setting i'm not one that likes for small talk actually I'm usually one that likes a real deep philosophical kind of stuff in saying that. That's the the one standout piece from the book was around just that. So I couldn't naturally understand sometimes why I might be in a a large environment and I I would find somebody similar and talk about deep stuff first and then you might talk small talk at the end, whereas extroverts like to do small talk first and then deeper stuff later. It's kind of flipped. But that's that's statistically or from research shown that way. So there you go. Um, talk to me about the book. Uh, you mentioned journaling earlier. You've been journaling for a number of years. Was that a natural process of journaling that then developed into a book? And maybe talk about you know your process around that. Um, yeah. So believe it or not, like you sound like you're a bit of a book reader, um, and I can see a few in the back. Um, I myself am a bookworm myself. The a lot of books, and if you've noticed, where they might start out with like an inspirational quote, right, and then they'll go into the body of text. For me, it was start out with a journal entry, like a very pivotal, pivotal journal entry to set the scene, and then go into it. Mm. And these are the things where it's like real deep stuff, man. Where I'm like ready to end my life, to where it's just really depressing stuff, and then it starts to lift. I, I just started journaling because I was still scared to talk to people. And I remember I was on a flight to the Philippines because I'm half Filipino and my mum's side Filipino. 
and my grandma passed away, so we flew over to see her. And I was journaling how I was overcoming things. Not how, like, I was still actually writing journals. And then I started writing how I was starting to overcome. And before I know it, I stuck with that. And I thought, you know what, I probably have enough for a manuscript. I've got about like 18,000 words here. While I was also blogging, a friend of mine said, because when I was doing the 40 events in one year with a friend, she said, so if you've got to be blogging because you've got to be documenting this somehow, and if you ever write a book, she goes, she's like, I think one day you would, you would write a book, then you can use that as collateral to fall back on in case you have written about the topic before. Mm. Now, when you first start blogging or anything for the first time, the first ones are going to suck. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just natural because you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I look at the first blogs, I'm like, oh, my God. But you just refine them to suit your style these days. Obviously, when you write a book, you get an editor involved. Um, but that, that helped immensely. And before I know it, like this is going back to like at school, but I didn't like running, writing or public speaking. Three things I do the most today. Mm. And I flipped it with that, that meant that mindset of, I wonder if this can impact or inspire or empower someone that's going through something similar that doesn't feel like they're enough or that wants to break their own limits, whatever. I just flipped it by doing it in my own style. I'm not the quickest guy. Some people don't want to do the thing because they're not going to become number one in it. Who cares? Like, just do it mm-hmm. in your style. That is number one because there's only one you, literally. There's, a, there's only one Rob. There's only one Tove. There's only one John mm-hmm. that you mentioned before. There's only one of us. So it's like whatever you do, do it in your style, mm-hmm. the way you, yeah, in your weirdness or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I, I think one thing you mentioned those three things, certain things I w- was really passionate about when I was younger, but I didn't do because I was an introvert, because it might have pushed me outside a comfort zone that I now do. Those three things, public speaking, atle- athletics and writing, I guess, was it? But like, what were the things you actually wanted to do, but maybe didn't have the, the confidence to do them? Or, or do you think they just were stuff you were not interested in? I'm just curious about that. With those three things that I mentioned? Yeah, like, um, do you ever think because, that you were kind of almost yeah. reluctant to do them because you thought you might fail at them or not be good at them? Yeah, because when I was at public, when I was, when we had to do presentations at school, I would always be shaking. Even though I was like, fine, like at first, like at, at first you'd be shaking and you're okay. Um, English as a subject was, I was, was a C, probably C minus student. Hmm. Um, and, Athletics, I was definitely not good at that. Like, I actually hated running at school. Yeah. Um, so funny, I flipped all three of those. Like, it's created opportunity too. Like, the, the book has gotten bestseller and definitely my vocabulary and my vernacular has increased a lot because I got so obsessed with books. It was reading that they just naturally grew on me. Mm-hmm. Um, running, like, the ability, the, the opportunity to represent Australia for the race I recently just did, that's just an, uh, like, utmost honor I could ever get. And, like, for writing, as well even like even the speaking get paid to speak and the writing like red bull i write for them now and then to, to pay to write for them sure. it, like those come as a byproduct those are a byproduct i just mentioned but i'm just saying like what opportunity can give you when you flip switches by going write it do it for the impact at least because you're that's a win-win you're not only conquering it for yourself but you may help someone along the way you probably will it, it might may seem indirectly at the time at first but someone picks up on it before you know it. So you just keep honing on that. Hmm. 
So if you were to look at, you do a personal SWOT analysis and you, you know your strengths and weaknesses or whatever. Mm. Is there areas that you're saying I'm not that good at that? I'm actually going to target that now and I'm going to flip it and I'm going to become better at it to use a better. Not entirely, believe it or not. So I'm a person that's a big believer in all in on strengths and outsource weaknesses. But the people I outsource, for example, I'm not the best at strategy. It's just something that doesn't come natural to me. I'm good at vision and I'm right at, I'm really good at getting in the trenches, but strategy, sometimes I'm often going in the wrong direction. So I hire strategists. Just hanging around her so much more, I naturally are getting better at strategy because of osmosis. Mm-hmm. But it's, but at the same time, not to sound like a contract, not to contradict, I like to try a lot of things myself just so I can get a general understanding. Sure. And if, if it's not working for me, I'll just let go just because it's not going to be a natural strength of mine. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, no, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of purposely coming up with stuff. As There's a, a method to the madness. There <laughs> is a method to the madness. <laughs> there is, there is. But I suppose what is your, your ambitions next? What's under, on the radar for, for the short term, medium term, what are your next big goals and challenges ahead? Mm. So I've got, I've got a lot of speaking coming up. Um, there is definitely a project I want to do. Like, a, so the re, the book I wrote, um, like even with all the endurance stuff, people always asking me, "What's the next event? What's the next event?" I'm all about um, integration. So, with a lot of travel and a lot of speaking, um, it's kind of tying in, um, like maybe endurance for that, so I can do it in another country. But you know, I, the the big one right now that I've got coming up, that is currently on right now, it's it, it's, it is a follow-up of the book. It's being able to quantify people's resilience. So I've extrapolated everything from it. And I put people through, at first it's 12 weeks, and they have me every day, no matter where in the world you are. And you do, you get a lesson from me, you also get a goal to do, and there's also a lot of accountability. That's where people are lacking. And I can see people's progress as they do. And there's areas where I see whether they're thriving. And there's areas where they're dipping, and I get them at the dipping so we can go together. So it's it's like I'm helping them with those weaknesses, and then afterwards they still use that platform for a full year, so they have accountability that comes included. So it's getting to people at that because it's something that means a lot to me where I can fast track and quantify people's resilience, and that that's something that's meant a lot to me because when resilience was something that was really low in your life. Now, it wasn't like a weakness per se because I think resilience is something that we all need no matter what kind of human you are. When you're at a point where you lose it all and this what I said, you understand the value something was taken away from you, I was fine but a lot of people were seeking me for advice and resilience and yeah, of course I can help you but how do I do it in like a really um, – how do I do it in a way that I actually know how to get them from good to great? Like the book was one thing, and I knew, and I, I know it worked. But how do I do it where I can actually pinpoint the pain points? So that that that's what this has been the baby for a while. That and a lot of the speaking. So yeah. Mm. But I guess during the speaking, and during the interactions with others, you're you're constantly learning and evolving. I guess, and mm-hmm. you're taking 
of find through coaching you can learn a lot about yourself during the uh experience of that with with that person and i totally agree accountability is probably the number one reason people just don't go from a to b to z you know um and that's takes some of the magic out of it if you're just kind of uh, standing over people telling them what to do but um but you learn a lot about yourself as well for, for sure look I'm, I'm here to be a guiding light but if people are unwilling you i can't do it i can't do it and people find the answers within themselves i'm just here to guide them along the way because we, we all need mentors because mentors help learn cut the learning curve and it's okay to make mistakes but they don't have to be yours if you can learn what someone's learned in five years in a fraction of the time um you you not only will you save a lot of time and money and that but you'll save a lot of emotional pain too hmm. i'm going to wrap it up with just three quick ones you mentioned mentors who have been big mentors for you over the years any any names anyone specific any call outs um there's oh my god there's probably a good dozen actually um like probably Jacqueline Nagel she's a strategist of mine you know what mum's probably the most compassionate person I've ever known um I have a few there's a few business mentors I have um like there's there's a lot of people I see in person but there's you know what there's a lot of indirect people virtual people that they don't realize that they're mentors that you learn from where it's you you learn what when you I listen to everyone like I'm not here to belittle people I listen to everyone and I learn from people but I also learn not what to do as well because they might say something and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Um, so there's a lot of people I learn from books as well. Like they're like virtual mentors in a way. Um, you know, what? Arnold Schwarzenegger, I've learned a lot from him, from his book, um, Total Recall. Um, Elon Musk, you, you, I don't think you can't learn from that guy um, of how to like, just harness something and just really persist or something so there there are people that i look up like mentors range from all sort of all sort of even the linkedin community that community has been a second family to me that and the insurance community it's hard to like weigh up who's who's more powerful in that field but a lot of those people they're they have they're in respective fields and i learn so much because of being with them and connection and there so yeah there's there's so many people to name too many people to name yeah no no it's good to to kind of get a perspective of even the different fields so that's that's kind of interesting to to see i'll end with a cliche or a phrase or a saying that you you live by what comes up for you there focus on being the comeback so if we look at it in sport um like greatness is the ability to rise above no matter how bad the situation is and if you look at it in sport when the team is down by or the person is down by an X amount of points or goals, whatever it is, and it's fourth quarter and it's a typical team where it's fourth quarter and people walking out of the stadium because their team is not is, is losing right now. They, they're just pissed off. And the team comes back to win. It is considered the greatest game ever because they actually proved the comeback. So at the end of the day, be the comeback. Just focus on being the comeback. Like You actually need more setbacks, if anything. Mm. Because... The setbacks is what's going to be the foundation to your success. Nice. Nice one to end with, Toph. Um, I will give you the last couple of minutes to talk about the book, how people can purchase it, how they can get in touch with you. The usual end of podcast, uh, handing over the reins to my guests. So go for it. I appreciate that, man. 
So the book is called Everyone Has a Plan Until Shit It's the Fan, um, How to Not Be the Bitch of Your Own Brain. That's the subheading. Um, so I wrote this thing because everyone has a plan when things go right and no one has a plan when things go wrong. And using my own story, it's not a biography, using my own story of how I overcame things and put things into a very practical setting. Um, and I also collaborated on the book with a doctorate of psychology because I wanted it so people going, yeah, but how do I know your methods work or well and true? So I got some of the 15 years of theories, clinical psychology to work on me with the book. Like you can tell one of the chapters, the vernacular, and it just changes completely. It's very, uh, very, um, a lot of psychological jargon going on, but I try to put in like layman's terms. Um, but you know what, like I wrote it, if, you know, if one person can get out of that rut, whether it's that rut of suicide or that rut of suicidal tendencies or that rut of you feel like you're on route 66 and you want to just get out and you want to go from good to great. That's, that was the primary cause. That was the, the reason why. So all those times where I just like, I think I'm done with the book. No, keep going. You said you were going to do this to help just one person. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I just wanted to get one person. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of that that mindset's helped a lot. Cool, and I know from your website you've got more than one person helped based on some of the uh, the feedback, some of the WhatsApp texts and whatnot that have been going in there. So you've you've achieved your goal, it's success and and beyond. So so well done for for doing that, man. Um, your website is tough evans dot com. Tough dash evans dot com. Tough dash evans dot com. Yeah. Oh, uh, one thing, one thing as well. So for me, um. Success doesn't come like how many like a common question I guess how many book sales have you made? I don't actually ever want to know this. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I still don't even know how yeah. many book sales I've made because it you can't. It, when people go, oh, I want to write a New York Times bestseller and I want to sell two million by launch week, you're definitely not going to get that goal, and you're in it for the wrong reasons by the sounds of it. it I don't go of how many. It, I did a post about this in like the first week. I got the bestseller status, but that came naturally, right? Um, what I did was I put it like a put what people see and what I see and what I see is all the private messages. Every those private messages are the are the metric I go off. Whereas like someone does a post about it, my god, I came across this book, this is awesome, or thank you, I really resonate with this. Like some dude sent me a message via Skype going, this might have been one of the lives you saved. And that is more gratifying than getting any sort of accolade because the, the intent. Of why it in the first place is actually turned to fruition. Yeah, I, I I totally get it, and just from the not not from a similar perspective, but I think a lot of times, even doing podcasts and whatnot, people might think they're you're going to get a you know a million downloads a month, and if that's exact your, same thing, exact yeah. same thing with podcasting, right? Yeah, if that's your metric for success, I would have given up a long time ago, you know. But totally. but having a conversation like you talking to John, who connected me with you getting the odd random unsolicited email to say thank you that was a great show and i learned something from it that's it you know and that's that's what will make it keep going and anything else that comes along is is a bonus right so and i i can totally i can detect that from you so i guess there's going to be lots more good stuff coming over over the coming months and years Uh, i'm looking forward to staying connected and keeping my eye on on the stuff coming from from you so that that should be an interesting uh journey to continue of course man definitely stay in touch definitely um so that's cool thanks a million for that as i said it's it's out now this podcast will be 
available for download shortly after i'll do some posts on uh, linkedin just to let people know that it's up as well and uh, enjoy the next few weeks in in dublin and uh, best of luck in the the future challenges and endeavors man thanks brother i appreciate that have a good night take care tov thanks mate good luck Hey folks, so there you go. That was the episode with Tof Evans. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a very interesting one. Lots of really good pieces of uh, information that Tof shared about his own story, his journey. Uh, it's always a good sign when you pass about an hour of the show without really checking the, the clock ticking by and it flew. So the full show should now be available if you've... Uh, listening to this you probably heard the whole thing so i don't know why i'm even saying that just a quick one new podcast uh one percent better show with megan duhamel the olympic gold medalist ice skater is out on friday can't wait to share that very interesting another one about mindset and pushing hard and pushing the boundaries and there's no limits lots of similarities but lots of uh, difference in in the stories everybody has a different story so that's out friday i'm going to be on vacation next week so probably nothing much coming out but I have a bunch of 864 shows and another number of 1% betters lined up to go um, as we get into September and the last third of the year, which has gone quite quickly. I will ask, as always, please do share the, the word of the 1% Better podcast and the 864. The more folks that uh, get to hear it, the better. The numbers are going up and up all the time, which is great. And obviously doing more and more content if you don't get to all the shows that's absolutely fine just download them have them there and listen to them in your own leisurely time frame that will be good what i always like to ask is if you could tell friends about it if you could follow on one of the social accounts and like it and share it out there all that stuff just helps me get as i said the reach out a little bit further trying to get the message across there probably repeating myself a little bit but anyway i'm going to start wrapping this one up by playing a little bit of the old background music and see if there's anything else that i didn't touch on mm, don't think so uh that was the one with tof evans the next episode's out friday and yeah, if you haven't subscribed to the weekly newsletter, go to the website. You can do that there. And I shall leave it at that. Have a good night, day, weekend, whatever it is that is in front of you. And take care. Thanks so much. Good luck.